have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to the Gospel according to Matthew. It should be familiar to many of you. As you know, Pastor John has been walking through the Gospel according to Matthew. And you're going to find yourself in chapter 16 this morning. And we're going to read a small passage here. Um, It's about seven verses, and we're going to look at it and see what God has for us this morning. If you have your house Bible, um, it's going to be, I believe, page 822. Like I mentioned before, this passage that we're about to read and reflect on is a a small teaching that Jesus provides to his disciples. It's it's a small teaching moment that he has with them to reveal a, a greater truth that is very much applicable and relevant to us in our lives today. And it's it's in what we can call sort of the humility section of Matthew's gospel. As, as you may know, and, and maybe you've heard this as well, Matthew's gospel can be neatly divided into about five different sections, with each section at, having at its conclusion uh, a phrase that we find repeated at every single instance. It's this phrase, and when Jesus had finished saying, or when Je- Jesus had finished teaching. So we see that Actually, throughout this gospel, you find in Matthew 7, 28, when Jesus had finished these sayings. Matthew 11, 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his disciples. Matthew 13, 53, when Jesus had finished. Matthew 19, verse 1, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away. Matthew 26, verse 1, when Jesus had finished all these sayings. Matthew's gospel can be divided into, yes, five sections. And so we find ourselves really in this fourth section of this division of Matthew's gospel. A division that starts in, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 54, and actually goes and extends to the end of Matthew um, chapter 19, verse actually 2. Like I, I mentioned, each of these distinct divisions in Matthew's gospel has a major teaching that Jesus gives. The major teaching in this section is found in the 18th chapter. And we're not going to go there, but it sets sort of the theme for this whole section. It's a section um, that's really focusing on humility. Humility. And so in in light of that, I want us to read this passage and this portion of Scripture with humility sort of at the forefront of our mind. But but secondly, there's there's another way that we can divide Matthew's Gospel. And I want us to to look at that sort of division as well very quickly. Matthew's gospel can be divided into two parts, with chapter 16 being the hinge chapter that kind of flows us from the first section to the second section. And we see a lot of differences and some little nuances that we find from Matthew 1 through 16 and then from 17 through 28. For example, we find in the first 16 chapters that that Jesus performs, or there's at least recorded for us, 31 miracles from Christ. But however, when we read afterwards, we only find that there are 12. So there's, there's a diminishing in the amount of miracles that Jesus performs, that at least as are recorded in Matthew's Gospel. Four times Jesus rebukes the disciples and others for their, their lack of faith, or for their little faith. And then he only does it one time after that in chapter 17. Through the first half, we see that the disciples had a very limited understanding of Jesus' identity and his mission. You remember in Matthew chapter 8, there's a great storm that comes. And the disciples are fearing for their lives. What will happen to us? We're going to die. And they go down to Jesus, who's at the boat. 
And they say, why are you sleeping? We're about to die. And Jesus rebukes and he, the, you know, the winds and the waves and there's peace. And, and what is that proclamation? What is that question that they state? And you say, what, what manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. However, starting from chapter 16, moving on, we see that they have a greater revelation, a greater understanding of who Jesus is. We see that even in chapter 16 where they make that great, profound statement of faith. You are Christ. We see even in the first half that Jesus doesn't really mention His death, the manner of it, or even His resurrection. However, in the second half, He starts speaking directly and clearly about the suffering that He's going to endure, about His death that is coming, and the resurrection that will be had. In the first part of the first 16 chapters, we see really that Jesus spoke sort of in a general fashion about this kingdom that will advance. But in the second half, we see that he talks really about how he's going to be building this kingdom. In the first half, we see that Jesus is sort of content to stay sort of in the the backwater area, we can say, of Galilee. However, from this point on, he's going to start moving towards Jerusalem with the intent and the purpose to fulfill God's will, the the Father's will of Him suffering and dying on the cross. And so we see some key differences there if we divide Matthew's Gospel in, in two parts. One, where there is sort of a limited understanding, a, a limited understanding by the disciples and even by the people on who Christ is to more of a growth and a more clear understanding of who He is and His mission. And then we also see sort of a a greater urgency for Christ to fulfill the will of the Father. And so I want us to look at this passage of Scripture, which hopefully you've made it there to Matthew 16. We're going to start in verse 5. I want us to look at this passage of Scripture in light of those two themes. One, of humility. And secondly, of us having this growing revelation and a growing understanding of who Christ is. So, if you're there, um, and if you would uh, stand as we read God's Word, we're going to read Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read verses 5 through verse 12. It says this, When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, verse 8, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand? And how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees 
and Sadducees. What we've just read is God's word for us this morning. May we see that this is his word, not just words on a page, but this is his word for us this morning. Uh, Please take your seats. In Mark's gospel, we read a very similar account to what we read here in Matthew chapter 16. And I'm, I'm going to go through that real quickly. Mark chapter 8, it starts in verse 14. We read a, a similar account. It's actually the same account. But you're going to notice there's some nuances, a little bit of, of difference between the two accounts. Mark chapter 8, verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring any bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he, he being Jesus, cautioned them, saying, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, twelve. And the seven for the four thousand? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And then he says to them, do you not yet understand? kind of leaves us wanting a little bit more. The the story, the count really ends right there. Starting in verse 22, Jesus goes and he heals a a blind man. And we're wondering, well, what happens? Did they ever get the clarity? Did they ever gain that understanding? It's in Matthew's gospel that we see, you know, yes, they did. Verse 12, they understood that he did not tell them the where of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Mark's gospel, we see some differences. One major thing we see is that there is no no ending. There's no conclusion. There's no real resolution. And that's not a good story for us, right? We love stories that have an ending, and we want it to have a happy ending. But when we read Mark's gospel, we think, well, did they get it? Did they get it? Matthew gives us that hope and that joy. We see that they did get it. And it's a message that we also need to understand ourselves. So keeping humility, like I mentioned before, and growth and maturity at the forefront of our minds, I I want to kind of give you just the summary of the entire sermon. And this doesn't mean, you know, okay, we got it, we can just leave or we doze off. I'm just going to give you sort of the sermon summary and, and we're going to work off of that. So, so this is it. If, if, you, if you leave and you forget everything I said, please keep this in mind. In, in our walk with Christ, we must never be so proud to think that we know it all. That we have a complete and right and full understanding. But we must guard ourselves from the dangers in this world, such as false teachings, and we should treasure the truth that we have been given. So let's get started. Matthew chapter 16, right? Verse um, 5, we see the disciples reach the other side, and they had forgotten to bring any bread. And, and, and we can relate to that, right? We love to eat. I mean, maybe right now you're thinking, Oh, man, I see in the bulletin, we're going to have some pizza. It's going to be great. Um, they're, they're thinking, oh, we forgot bread. It's interesting because in Mark's account, we see that they did have bread. 
You remember that in Mark in, in 8 when I read, they didn't bring any bread, but what did they say they had with them in their boat? They had a single loaf of bread. And so does that difference constitute a contradiction? No, I think it's easily reconcilable. Um, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. We also see another difference, though. right? In, in Matthew's account, what does he warn them about? He warns them about the leaven of the Pharisees, and then he also says the leaven of the Sadducees. But in Mark's gospel, what do we see? He warns them about the leaven of the Pharisees and then the leaven of, of Herod. So is that another contradiction? Did Jesus say something? And, or maybe Mark was, uh, just forgot to include this? Like, what happened here? And, and we also see that there's really no resolution in Mark's gospel, which we do find in Matthew's. Um, like I said, I think these so-called uh, contradictions, really just differences, don't constitute really anything that we should be worried about. Um, it's, it's similar to if I were to you know, let one of you all know, you know, me and my wife, we're going to the hospital, we're going to go deliver our child, and then you overhear me talking to another person, and I tell them, me, my wife, my whole family are going to the hospital to deliver my child. Just because I excluded a fact, like I went with my whole family in one story, but in the other one, I chose to include it, doesn't mean that I contradicted myself. It doesn't mean that I lied. And the same thing here, they forgot to bring any bread. Mark concludes that they did bring a single loaf of bread. This is not at all a contradiction. It's, sim- it's just simply an exclusion. That's there. So, they arrive on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Right? They forgot to bring bread. So this would bring them sort of the eastern side, or maybe perhaps the northeastern side of the shore. We actually see in verse 13, sort of the direction that they're traveling. When, I, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, right? Verse 13. So they're walking in this direction, and that's about 25 miles north of the shore that they, they probably landed on, on the eastern side. They cross over, they realize we just don't have any bread. And this is sort of, I guess, where they start thinking in, in earthly terms rather than understanding the, the spiritual things that Christ was trying to teach them. And Jesus tells them, verse 6, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus is not rebuking them for having a lack of, of prudence and preparation. He's not saying, I can't believe God forgot to bring bread. This is your one job. Like, you, we're crossing the sea. We're going to be hungry. And, and Jesus, out of, out, of, out of being hangry, is like, where's the bread? Like, where is it? That's, that's not what we're seeing here. He's, he's taking this, this moment, and he's turning it into a teachable, teachable moment. And I'm sure you parents, y'all have many teachable moments that y'all can share. He takes this as a teachable moment to teach them something. He, he's warning them about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and of, of Herod. And this is really interesting because previously, if, if you remember, even in the parables, in Matthew 13, Jesus also brings up leaven. He brings up yeast. But he talks about it in a positive sense, doesn't he? He talks about how there's a woman who, who takes a piece of leaven, she puts it inside of about 50 pounds of flour, just a small lump, and, and hides it in there. And, and what happens? It, it grows, and it, it really throughout the entire piece of bread. 
the whole thing, and it's this idea of the kingdom advancing and growing. Humble beginnings, small but great growth. And he talks about it in, in a positive light, but here he, it's negative. He's saying, don't, don't admire it, don't, don't run towards it, but actually be wary of it. Beware. He speaks to, to guard against it. It's, it's in Greek, the word prosecco. It's, it's sometimes actually uh, translated in, in a positive sense, which makes it kind of hard for um, us to, when we read it, like what is he trying to say here when he's saying beware of it? Because in some cases it actually means the opposite. It actually means to pay attention to. It actually means to devote oneself to. We see that in Acts chapter 8, verse 6. And the crowds with one accord, prosecco, they paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Or Hebrews 2.1, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. It's used 24 times in the New Testament. And in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew uses this word in a very specific sense. He uses it always in a manner for us to be guarded against and to be wary of. We see that in Matthew Chapter 2, verse 1, 7, 15, 10, 17, 16, 6, 16, 11, and 16, 12. In each and every one of those instances, it's always used to be guarded, to be wary of. He tells them, beware of it. And do the disciples get it? Do they get it initially? I mean, when you, when you teach your kids, your children something, or maybe your friend or somebody else, maybe a coworker who's new to the job, when you teach them something, do they usually just, yeah, got it? I'm, I'm just proficient. I'm going to do great. Not always the case. And we see that even here with the disciples. Unfortunately, they don't get it at first. They didn't understand what Jesus here was talking about. They wrongly thought that Jesus was rebuking them for a lack of food, for a lack of preparation, for this, this oversight, a, a physical, an earthly oversight that they had had. They had set their minds on the physical to the absence of the bread. And so Jesus, being the perfect and masterful teacher that he is, he asks them a series of questions to kind of nudge them along. He asks them a couple questions to lead them towards the truth that he wants them to understand. But not only does he lead them in a way so that they have understanding, I think he also leans them into a way so they can have a greater understanding and a greater revelation of who it is that He is. In these questions, I think it brings them to remind themselves of who Jesus truly is. I think that's something that we need to pull out of this as, as well. Verses 8 through 10 is where He sort of starts His, or through 11, He starts His questioning to them. Verse 8, we see, but Jesus aware of this. Mark's Gospel says something very similar to that. Jesus being aware of what they were discussing. We see is Jesus is not necessarily part of this conversation. Verse 7, they began discussing it how? Among themselves. This is this idea that, oh hey, alright, he's just rebuked us. Alright, everyone, gather together. Okay, alright. Thomas, were you supposed to bring the bread? Come on, man. Like, it was your job. Like, now he's, 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 he's rebuking us. Like, this is not what we want. That's, no. 
So Jesus is aware of it. And, and this is really showing us something. He, he has a sort of omniscience, a sense. We've seen this happen multiple times before in the Scriptures where you know, the religious leaders, they're talking or they're even thinking something in their mind and Jesus being aware of their thoughts, being aware of what they're saying. He says something. He responds to it. Here Jesus shows sort of his divinity here. I, I know what it is that you're talking about, but unfortunately you're thinking wrongly. Your mind is too focused on these earthly things about, and you're preoccupied with these mundane and earthly things. And, and truly, we also can be preoccupied with the things in this world that we lose our focus and we don't understand what it is that God is trying to teach us. And that's what we see here with these disciples. They see a bit of His divinity displayed as He has this awareness of what they're discussing. And they have to be reminded, how does Jesus hear? Does He have super hearing? Maybe that's His power? No, they, they, they are reminded, this is, this is more than a man. He's divine. He knows even the, our private discussions. He knows even our private thoughts. And we can even be reminded of this fact. Jesus being aware of this, he's also, being, he's also aware of us. He knows what's in our hearts. And he knows our motives. When we, when we do something or, or think something, he knows what's in our heart. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. And he asked them, verse 9, do you not perceive? In Mark's gospel, he, Mark has it a little bit more strongly. He asks them, don't you understand or comprehend? Is your heart hardened? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and do not hear? This is not a matter of just comprehension, though. Yes, they have a misunderstanding of what Jesus is teaching, but also what we're going to see later on in the questioning is they also have a lack of remembrance. They've forgotten what he has done. And he's going to question them, hey, remember that large crowd, about 5,000? Did, did I not feed them? Or the 4,000, did, did I not feed them as well and provide for them? So they don't just have a lack of comprehension. They also have a lack of remembrance. And, and he, he says, oh, you of little faith, do you not perceive? Don't you understand? Where is this? You've been walking with me for these years. Where is your understanding and where is your recollection? When you think in the Old Testament, how often were the people of God, the Israelites, called to remember? Remember. Because as soon as they forgot, they would shift their eyes to something else and they would create idols. They're always brought to remember. And we ourselves, we're called to remember. I think that the greatest thing we should remember is the Gospel how we have been saved. We were dead in our trespasses, children of wrath, deserving of, of all the condemnation and the judgment of God upon us. But in Christ we found salvation. We received forgiveness when He died on that cross for our sins. We need to remind ourselves of the Gospel because that will change the way we live and interact with people all around us, with our neighbors, you know, man, they're a knucklehead. They did something bad against us. But man, we were the worst knucklehead against God. And yet He forgives us. I can forgive them. We have all these things when we remind ourselves of the Gospel. 
It's more than just having a comprehension. It's more than just having this understanding. We also sometimes need to remember. We need to remind ourselves. We need to recall it to our memories and to our minds. We should not have, as Mark describes, hardened hearts. They failed. Disciples have failed to understand even the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach when he fed that, that, those great crowds. They weren't the ones that we see in Matthew 13, you know, the blessed ones, the ones that, that Jesus says, these are the ones who are blessed, the ones who, who have eyes and they see, they have ears and they hear. They're the ones who understand. They, they, they didn't understand. They needed to shift their focus from the physical and see what Jesus was aiming to teach them about some spiritual lessons. He wanted to deal with them on a spiritual level. We can too often set our minds on earthly things. We can accumulate. We can store up all these earthly things and they can distract us. And Jesus is nudging us and he's guiding us away from these things to spiritual things. And they see what sort of man this is that the winds and the waves obey. This is a man who teaches with authority from above. And he asked those questions, right, about the bread and the feeding. They needed to be reminded of that. They needed to not just have comprehension, but remembrance. And you'll remember, Mark tells us there's one loaf of bread in the boat. Why are they worrying about food? Why is it that they worry? In one, in one instance, he only had five loaves of bread, two fish. Another instance, seven loaves of bread, a few fish. And he fed the, the crowds. And here in this boat, they have one loaf of bread. And, and just the disciples and Jesus, they couldn't find a way. Jesus couldn't multiply it. He couldn't provide to them like he had done for the crowds previously. No, he could have. He, he could have. They, they failed to learn the lesson that, that he is a provider. And, and they would, of course, be reminded of the Old Testament, but they would speak about the Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And they would, they would have to make this association. Jesus is more than just a man. And he's more than just a man who has an awareness. And he's more than just a man who, who has authority when he teaches. He's also one who can provide. And of course, we know that it is not just a physical provision, but He provides and He meets and He satisfies our deepest need. That is that we are eternally separated from the Father. We are eternally separated. That we face a judgment and we have nothing. We have absolutely nothing that we can say, you know, Lord, You can, you can accept me because I did this. We, we have nothing on our account. He can fulfill and He can satisfy our needs, our, our deepest, our deepest needs. And He loves and He desires to even satisfy our, our, our physical needs. We see that in Matthew in chapter 6. He provides even for the birds of the air. How much will He not provide for us? They, they needed to remember and rightly understand the lesson that He was teaching His disciples. He can provide for them. That He is this promised Messiah, the suffering servant, 
this cloud rider, this son of man. He. In verse 11, he asks one final question to them. And then he reiterates this warning to them. He says in verse 11, How is it? How? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? So if if, if my previous questioning did not make it abundantly clear to you, I'm not talking about that one loaf of bread. I'm not talking about physical bread here. And then he says to them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He reiterates this warning to them. And it clicks. It clicks in their mind, verse 12. They understood. He's not talking about bread. He's he's talking about these teachings that they bring. It clicks to them. It's these teachings that we should be wary, guarded against. And it's, it's, it's interesting because sometimes their teachings seem to be all right. I mean, if you, if you turn to Matthew chapter 23, we read, we read these words, Jesus speaking about the teachings of the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, like the great woes, the seven woes, we see here in verse 2. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat. So, do and observe whatever they tell you. It's interesting. He's telling them here in chapter 16, be wary of it. But here in, in, verse, in chapter 23, he says, they sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you. But then he, he adds to it, he says, but not the works they do. But not the works they do, for they preach, but what they do not practice. There's a, there's a difference, there's a, there's a distinction that's being made there in chapter 23 when he talks about their teaching. They sit on the seat of, of, of Moses. This idea, this, they have this vested towards them, this authority that they have in, in proclaiming the laws of God to the people. And they need to obey that. They, need to, they must obey the laws of God. But there is an extra teaching, which Jesus warns in Matthew 16, that they're bringing in that is wrong that you must guard yourself against. It's, and it, it can cause this insidious effect in our lives. And it's really showing that they have a heart that's of unbelief. You remember, you'll, you'll see that verse 5 in chapter 16 comes after verse 4 and 3 and 2 and 1. And in, in those first four verses, we see that confrontation. And, and Pastor John uh, pointed us to that last week of this confrontation that Jesus has with the Pharisees and the Sadducees as they team up. They join together and they say, Jesus, give us a sign. Give us a sign. As if a sign would be all that they need for them to believe. We may think this is a commendable thing, right? We should always ask for a sign. If anyone comes and says, I'm God, right? We should test that. That's a commendable thing. But really, what they're doing is they've just rejected him. They've seen all of these signs that Christ has performed before them. All of these things that testify to who he was. 
David said, no, we're not going to hold on to that. We're not going to believe that. Show us another one. Just one more, Jesus. Just one more. They're in rebellion. They ignored all the signs that pointed to him being the Messiah. They disregarded all the real and irrefutable claims that he had made to his divinity. And then, right, we see that he left them and departed. And I don't, I don't think this is something that he loved and desired. Right in Mark 8.12, we read how he sighed, he sighed deeply in his spirit. And if you continue on in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, you see how he, he desired, oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, city that kills your prophets, how I desire to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, yet you refused. He loved them. The people he came to save refused to be gathered. They just demanded more signs and they just demanded more and more and more evidence. And really what it showed was a, a lack of belief. Really, this was an opposition by the religious leaders to the person of Jesus Christ in those first four verses. And they tried to just trap him. And Jesus tells, in in sort of reference to this event, he tells his disciples, be wary. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, when we consider the teachings of the Pharisees, we see that, what did they do? They elevated tradition, right? They elevated these, these teachings of man almost to the point where it was equality with, with God's Word, with the equality with the Scriptures. But the leaven of, of, the, of the, te- and the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or excuse me, just the Pharisees, was not just that they elevated Scripture, or elevated tradition to the level of Scripture, but they also had unbelief. But they also lived hypocritically. I mean, this was one of the great woes that Jesus had for them. Even in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, we read, in the, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together and they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In Luke 12, verse 1. They didn't practice what they preached. They had elevated these, these things, these, these man-made traditions to God's Word. And they had hearts with unbelief. This is the teachings, you could say the leaven of the Pharisees. What is the leaven of the Sadducees? Well, we know that the, the Sadducees, they taught in a specific way where they denied really spiritual things. They denied immortality of the soul. They said there's no such thing as the resurrection. They also said, there are angels. There's no such thing as angels. They denied the spiritual things. I think a lot of times we can fall into that trap as well. Where we, we think, oh, you know, God, I, I know that you're the creator and all, but I'm going to take this matter in my own hand. I don't need to come to you in prayer. Or this little sin, it's just a little sin. I can handle it on my own. And then in Mark, we have this leaven of, the Her- of Herod that we're, we're warned against, which probably would be this lusting after power, distrust, and, or even an elevation of the self over the authority of God. 
warning is clear. I think the lesson is clear here. So, so going back to sort of that sermon summary that I had mentioned earlier, this does mean we have humility. In our walk with Christ, we should never be so proud to think we have a complete and full and whole understanding that we see the disciples were even lacking. We're not, we're not fully there, lest we think, you know, I, I, I know everything. I'm, I'm of the spiritual elite. You don't need to worry about me. Even Paul writes in Corinthians, be careful all who thinks they stand, lest they fall. The disciples show that they're too focused on the material things of this world and having walked with Jesus for so long, they still don't have understanding. And they were worried, like, where are we going to find this food? We have a trust. We need to have a faith in a God who can and will and does provide. There are many times in our lives we're going to experience limitations in our understanding. And the, and the, the danger is that we may overlook certain dangers in this world. And we may even grow in an apathy towards you know, false doctrines or false teachings because of it. Which brings us to that second point of the sermon summary, right? We must guard ourselves from the dangers of false teachings and treasure the truth that we have been given. Guard ourselves against false teaching. You know, like yeast, yeast may be small, and we may think it's just insignificant. It's, gonna, it's not going to have any sort of effect in our lives. It's not going to hurt us. It's not going to hurt me, my life. I'm too strong. It's not going to hurt my family or my, my relationship. No, it's not going to hurt my ministry. It's not going to hurt my, my, my work ethic or anything like that. It's just so small. But if we're not careful, it can take root and, and grow and grow, and grow in our lives. Jerome, in his, in his commentary on Matthew, one of our the early church fathers wrote, he said this, leaven has this power, that if mixed with flour, that which seems small, would grow into something larger and draw to its own essence the whole loaf. So too, with heretical doctrine, if it tosses even a tiny spark into your heart in a short time, a huge flame will grow beneath and draw itself a person's entire substance. If we're not careful, these false teachings may draw us towards it to where we even believe it and affirm it and love it. We must guard ourselves. Proverbs 6.27 reads, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? We may think, oh, I can handle it. It's so small. There's a danger if we don't guard against it. And it can be so difficult at times to detect these false teachings, these false teachers who come in into our midst. It can be difficult to detect. Peter even warns about this in 2 Peter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. It doesn't say and they will blatantly say, hey, this is not true. They will secretly bring it in. So we must be careful. In Corinthians and even Galatians, we tell us, you know, boasting is not good. Even a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. We must be careful. So what do we do? Well, I want to offer just, just two, just 
pieces of advice, two, two sort of tips or principles that we can apply to help guard ourselves. One is first just testing. Right? Test what it is that we are hearing. Of course, that means we have to have a standard by which we test it. And that is God's word. So when we test it, we also want to at the same time be holding fast to God's word. In Acts 17, we see an example of this testing. Right? When Paul and Silas, they, they go into the region of Berea, and they start preaching and proclaiming the truth to the people. And what do the people do? They respond in a, in a very positive manner. But first they go and they examine the Scriptures to see if what was said was so. We test, but we also hold fast. And this is sort of a, a commendation or an exhortation that Paul gives to Timothy. In, verse, in, in chapter 1, verse 13, follow the patterns, pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit and trust you to you. We test, but also hold fast to the word of God. You know, we're all in, in, in different places. We're all in different states and seasons in our life, and, and we, we need to all beware of that, of those types of leaven. I don't know if there's anyone here with, with unbelief. And maybe you think, you know, my worldview, my knowledge, all those things that I've accumulated in my life, that's everything I need. You're just too focused on this material and the earthly, and you're just denying all the spiritual things. Beware. Beware the leaven of the... You can say the Sadducees and that. You think that these spiritual things don't matter at all. Don't let that lead you astray. Fathers and mothers especially, you know, you, you must guard yourselves. You're teaching your children. You're teaching your children, not with just what you say, but with what you do. And they have pretty good memories, don't they? I know my nieces and nephews, if I tell them something, they remember it. For forever, right? Um, you're teaching your children. Don't be guilting of having a little bit of yeast sprinkled in your teaching. And don't have that sort of leaven of Herod where you're like, I'm in charge. You just have to listen to me. You know, in the workplace, how does this apply to us? I think greatly, because the temptation to think is that our work is separate from our faith. We have this divide between the secular and the sacred and maybe we're going to act in a way that's unloving and harsh and quick against our coworkers, our employees. Watch yourself. Do not be marked with the hypocrisy that we saw marking the Pharisees. We must beware. Not just from external leaven, which I think we look to a lot, but we also need to look within ourselves. What is it that we're carrying? What is it that we're teaching? Are we denying the spiritual things? Are we denying, denying the God's Word by, by living in a life that is contrary to what He has said? Are we elevating ourselves as, as idols, saying we are above God, we have more authority? We must beware. We must be careful because our teachings teach others as well. Yes, yes, for sure. We need to be careful with the teachers that we're listening to. The sermons or the, you know, the, the Bible devotions or anything like that. We must be careful, yes, because they can have profound effects on our lives. But at the same time, we also must guard ourselves. Because we too can be led astray. 
And I think those three things brings us to have confidence. A confidence in the Lord because we know God will never let us go. We are eternally secure in Him. We have the confidence to go before Him because we know in His Word it's, we find truth. We find that we have assurance, security in Him. We have confidence to go before the Lord because we're convicted by God's Word that we need to have a greater dependence on it. We, we, we don't know everything. We don't know it all. And so we continue to return to God's Word. And God's Word convicts our hearts, exposing things within us. Exposing little bits of leaven in our hearts and in our lives. And it convicts us. But we have confidence to go before Him. And, and those two things should bring a conduct change. We have confidence to go before Him. We're convicted in our hearts to have a good conduct. To have a righteous conduct. We change the way we're living. And we change it because we've, we've seen how it is that we're supposed to live. We know God's will in our lives. And so Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us through his word, let him who has eyes see, let him who has his ears hear. Our prayer is that we may all have eyes to see. That we all have ears to hear the word that God has for us this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, which is true. We pray, Lord, that we may not read it lightly, but we may read it and have an understanding of what it is that you are teaching us by it. And Lord, we praise you for who you are. And we praise you for your Son, whom you sent down to die on the cross for our sins, not of his own, and for his rising again three days later, defeating death. Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. Grant us the strength to be obedient to our calling as Christians so that we can bear witness to your faithfulness even in the midst of suffering and trials, persecution. Lord, may we live in such a way that whether we eat, drink, whatever it is that we do, we do it to bring you all glory and all praise. In Jesus' name.